on the show today. An attack on a Florida water treatment plant was thwarted by an alert supervisor. Microsoft's February patches address some serious vulnerabilities. A North Dakota bill threatens to force Apple and Google to allow alternative app stores. Our scam of the day promises me that I've won a gift card from the United States Postal Service. And today's tip gives you four tax scams to be on alert for. All of that and more is coming up on the February 15th, 2021 edition of Cybersecurity Made Personal. Helping you stay safe in a connected world. This is Cybersecurity Made Personal. Hello and welcome to the Cybersecurity Made Personal Podcast, the safest podcast on the internet. I'm your host, Jim Herman. We begin the news beat in Florida, where an alert supervisor stopped an attack on the water supply in Oldsmar, a small town near Tampa. The county sheriff announced at a news conference last week that someone had accessed the city's water treatment plant and attempted to increase the amount of sodium hydroxide to 100 times the normal level. Fortunately, a supervisor noticed the activity taking place on the screen in front of him and immediately reversed the change. Officials say the public was never in danger from this attack. They said that even if the supervisor had not noticed the change, there were other controls in place that would have detected it. Furthermore, they say the change would not have been physically possible, as the equipment would not have been able to make the change even if the modifications in the software had been left in place. However, this illustrates the dangers that these industrial systems face. Currently, the evidence indicates several security risks that could have been involved. The system was still running on Windows 7, it had no firewall in place, and the employees used a shared password to remote into the system. But even if this attack would have been thwarted multiple times, there's no guarantee that the next attempt would be thwarted so easily. This past Tuesday was the second Tuesday in February, known in the security world as Patch Tuesday. Patch Tuesday is the day when several companies, including Microsoft, release security updates for their software. Microsoft's updates patched 56 vulnerabilities, including four that allowed code to be executed remotely and one that allowed an attacker to increase their privileges once on your system. Microsoft revealed that some of these flaws were actively exploited by cybercriminals, so if you haven't yet installed the latest updates from Microsoft, it's definitely time to do so. In other news, North Dakota has taken on Apple and Google with a new bill that would prevent the companies from requiring developers to use their respective app stores. This bill would have the effect of paving the way for the possibility of alternative app stores on both platforms. 
Apple's privacy chief spoke out against the bill, claiming that the changes would, quote, undermine the privacy, security, safety, and performance of the iPhone, and that it would threaten to destroy the iPhone as we know it. While Android devices have permitted apps from outside the Google Play Store, Apple's devices have always been locked down to only apps approved by Apple. This bill doesn't appear to be moving anywhere fast, and it's unclear exactly how much this would affect Apple and Google anyway. However, it does raise some interesting questions regarding the control that these companies have over our crucial devices. And finally, we'll close this section with some humorous news. The 394th Judicial Circuit in Texas made news after an attorney couldn't figure out how to remove the cat filter during his Zoom hearing. The judge released that part of the hearing to the public for educational purposes, and the attorney appears to have taken the release in good stride. The Zoom mishap led to these famous words from the attorney, I'm here live, I'm not a cat. So I suppose that instead of addressing the gorilla in the room, the judge was forced to address the cat in the virtual courtroom. And now we move on to our scam of the day. Today's scam made it into my spam folder last week. This one came from an email address that was so long and full of junk data, Google couldn't even display it all. The email read, USPS.com Hello, dear. Confirm as soon as possible with USPS.com. We would like to thank you. You are one of the current customers to win an exclusive USPS award. Tracking number US2938456. Card type, digital gift card. Confirm here or unsubscribe. Now this one takes a little different approach than some of the scams we've covered. Instead of trying to create urgency through a threat, it creates urgency by convincing you that you've won something. You don't want to miss out on this great prize that you could possibly win. However, you still need to remember that whether it's good news or bad news, the goal is still to get you to click through so they can steal your information. If you encounter a scam that you think we'd like to talk about on the show, you can send it to us at scam at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com. And now it's time for our cybersecurity pop quiz. Each episode, I'll ask you a question in the field of online security or privacy, and it's your job to figure out the right answer. Today's question is multiple choice. The question is, if you want to back up your files to protect against ransomware, which of these would be the best place to store them? A, on your computer's hard drive, B, on a network storage drive, C, on an external drive you don't keep plugged in, or D, on your Google Drive storage. The answer will be revealed in next week's episode. But if you want to know it right away, you can go to cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash popquiz 
to find out if you're right. Plus, if you submit your guess on the website, regardless of whether you're right or wrong, you can be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card when we conclude Season 2 later this month. But your guess to this question must be submitted before the next episode is released at 8 a.m. on Monday, February 22nd. For official rules, visit CybersecurityMadePersonal.com slash rules. Last week's question was, which of the following activities are safe to do while using public Wi-Fi? A. Accessing online banking. B. Shopping on Amazon. C. Conducting a Google search. Or D. Logging in to your Twitter account. The correct answer is C. You should never send sensitive information when you're using public Wi-Fi unless you've taken steps to protect that information, such as using a VPN. That means that accessing your online banking, your Twitter account, or an online shopping account, which all require your password, is off-limits. And for shopping, even if you don't access an account, you'll still have to enter your credit card number, which is an even more sensitive piece of information. As long as the Google search isn't about something highly sensitive, conducting a Google search is a safe activity. Even if someone does manage to execute an attack on your traffic, they're not going to get much information about you from one search. However, if you do need to search and want an even better option for privacy, you do have a better option. Since almost all of us carry a cell phone, using your phone's data plan might be a better option for that Google search. You might not want to be reminded about this, but if you're an American, today marks two months remaining to get your tax returns ready and filed with the IRS. But if you're not careful, tax season can quickly turn into scam season if you get tricked by the wrong person. We'll have more information on how to avoid tax scams when we come back from this short break. If you have a cybersecurity question you'd like to know the answer to, you don't have to wait for an episode about it. We want to hear from you, whether it's a question you have or a comment you want to leave us about the show. You can reach us by email at info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or you can leave a voicemail at 859-968-9399, option 2. We'd love to hear your feedback or your questions, and we will definitely consider them when we discuss future topics or changes to the show. Plus, if we select a topic based on your message, we'll be sure to recognize you in that episode. Once again, that's info at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com or 859-968-9399, option 2. As the saying goes, there's two things that are certain. 
death, and taxes. But given what's happened the last several tax seasons, tax scams might also be long on that list. Scammers will exploit anything and everything they can to get to you and your money, and that includes exploiting the tax season. You might have been thinking about taxes for a little while now, likely each time you received a tax document. However, tax season in the United States officially began last Friday, when the IRS began accepting 2020 tax returns. Scammers always adjust their tactics based on current events. And since practically everyone in the United States is going to be filing their taxes in the next couple months, tax season makes a perfect event for scammers. But even if you live outside of the United States, you almost certainly still have taxes and an agency that collects them. So many of these scams could also be adopted to work in your country. So with all that in mind, here are four tax scams that you need to avoid. The first type of scam you could face is an IRS agent phone scam. In this type of scam, someone calls pretending to be an IRS agent demanding payment for past due taxes. These calls may be done by a live person, but they could also come as a robocall message instructing you to press a button or call a number back. There are a few ways to recognize these scams. The best way is to remember that the IRS rarely initiates contact by phone. You may receive phone calls regarding a tax matter, but it's almost always going to be about something you've already been made aware of. If you receive a phone call about taxes owed and it's the first time you've heard anything about it, it is always a scam. The person claiming to be the agent will often be highly aggressive and demand immediate payment over the phone. A true IRS agent isn't going to demand immediate payment, especially for a debt that you were not even aware of. Contrary to what many typically believe about the IRS and its agents, the IRS is generally more than willing to work with you on paying off your tax debt. As long as you make them believe that you want to pay it off, they will generally be more than happy to work out a payment plan and possibly even a settlement to reduce what you owe. And finally, the IRS generally conducts business by check, or by direct debit from your bank account. Only recently has the IRS begun accepting credit and debit cards, and it hasn't really caught on because they usually make you pay for the fees associated with the transaction. The IRS will never ask you to pay for a transaction with a wire transfer, a prepaid card, or Bitcoin. Any request for payment through these means is a scam. But unfortunately, impersonating an IRS agent isn't the only or the most serious scam you might face. An even more serious threat would be a fraudulent tax return submitted in your name. Let's face the honest truth. All of the information that someone would need to impersonate you is probably already available 
to someone who wants to look for it. Given the huge number of data breaches in the past few years, someone can probably get your name, social security number, address, and more if they really want it. In this type of scam, someone will file a tax return using your name and your social security number. They'll often make it appear that you moved so that the refund they're claiming will be sent to a different address. That helps avoid suspicion from the IRS. You'll likely not even know that a tax return was filed in your name until you go to file your own return. The IRS will reject an e-filed return if one's already been filed in your name, and they will notify you if a second return is filed by mail. In typical IRS fashion, you'll need to fill out another form if you believe you've been the victim of tax fraud. If you were told you couldn't e-file because you already filed, or you received a letter from the IRS stating you submitted two returns, download the form and send it back. They'll start an investigation into your situation. The best way to avoid this type of scam is to file your return early. The IRS just began accepting 2020 returns last Friday. The sooner into tax season you file, the less time the scammers have to file under your name. Plus, as a side benefit, you usually get your refund sooner if you file early in the season, and you'll avoid the possibility of an April 14th all-nighter trying to make sure your return is ready. You can also request an identity PIN from the IRS. This is a six-digit number that the IRS will send you, and without that number, no one can e-file a return in your name. However, the process for requesting the PIN and verifying your identity is complex, so make sure to start it early if you want to request a PIN. Some tax scammers may not even make any claims involving the IRS. A third scam is to steal your money by pretending to be a legitimate charity. They'll often take out an advertisement late in the year, pretending to be a charity, and reminding you that it's your last chance to donate and get a tax deduction for that year. In some cases, the advertisement may imitate a legitimate charity, but in others, they may take on a completely unique name. For example, the scammers could try to imitate the Salvation Army, but direct you to a page that's not actually owned by the Salvation Army. But the scammers could also create something like the Association to End Homelessness. You might see it and realize you want to reduce your tax owed or increase your refund and decide to donate not realizing that this charity does not actually exist legitimately. Either way, the money you give to this scam is not tax-deductible. To prevent this, make sure that you research the charity you are considering donating to. Ensure it is a legitimate, registered charity that's eligible for tax deductions. And make sure you don't trust the ads or even the results that come up in a Google search. Make sure you only go to the legitimate website of the charity you're intending to donate to. 
A fourth tax-related threat that you could face is an unscrupulous tax preparer. There are many different ways that your tax preparer could scam you. One would be to take your personal information and either use it themselves or sell it to those who will commit fraud. Your tax returns have a large amount of personal information about you, including your social security number, and if you're going to have your refund direct deposited, your bank account information as well. All of this could be used to steal your identity. But there's a second scam that an unscrupulous tax preparer could engage in. A preparer could take your information and then file for your refund on your behalf. The preparer might even prepare your returns correctly and give you a copy that looks right, but then submit a fraudulent return with extra deductions and pocket the difference. And along the same lines, a third scam that someone could do is overstate your deductions in order to reduce your tax owed or increase your refund. Some tax preparers may feel they need to prove their worth by overstating your deductions in order to get you a bigger refund. It's certainly possible that a professional preparer will identify legitimate deductions that you didn't realize you could take, but it's also possible that the preparer could inflate your deductions in order to make them look like a greater value. So how can you prevent these types of scams from tax preparers? First, as I mentioned earlier, you could request a PIN from the IRS. That would mean that only you could approve a return filed electronically. If a preparer tries to file on your behalf, you would have to see what they're doing and approve it. Second, choose a reputable tax preparer. I've lived in several different areas in my life, and every year in late winter, I see numerous tax preparation offices sprout up all over the area. By the end of April, most of these offices will be vacated, and if there's a problem, it may be difficult or even impossible to track down the person and the company that did your return. If you choose an office that's around permanently, at least you'll know that you can go back to that office if you have a problem with your return. So although taxes are a certainty of life, falling for a tax scam doesn't have to be. Stay aware of the most common tax scams that come up each year and take the steps you need to in order to avoid them. So that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening, and come back next week when we will conclude our second season with an episode on the privacy settings you need to change in your web browser. Until next time, stay safe. Thanks again for joining us for the Cybersecurity Made Personal podcast. Check out the show notes page linked in the description for links to the articles mentioned, more information about today's tip, and a transcription of this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would consider visiting our welcome page at cybersecuritymadepersonal.com welcome. There, you can find more information about the show and links to some of our most popular episodes. 
Cybersecurity Made Personal is provided for educational purposes only. Don't take any action on your computer unless you fully understand what you are doing and the possible consequences. Visit cybersecuritymadepersonal.com slash disclaimer for more information. Cybersecurity Made Personal is a production of Personal Cybersecurity, LLC. I'm Jim Herman. Thanks for listening and stay safe.